Hi, I'm Tess Viglund, and welcome to episode three of COVID Chronicles. I was having dinner with a friend earlier this week, each of us, you know, eating in our respective homes and chatting over, yes, Zoom. And we started talking about how much we missed the grocery store. I mean, we go, of course, maybe once a week now, but we both said we missed just kind of wandering the aisles. And I'd never thought about it before, how much a part of daily life or every other daily life the grocery store is. But far more than almost anywhere else, the gas station, the dry cleaners, the drugstore, the pet food store, more than any of those, the grocery store is this place where we we gather and, and we spend some time. And I like just kind of wandering and seeing what's available. I know not everyone does. Some people can't stand going to the store. But it's one of those things I never appreciate or think about. Or at least I didn't until I couldn't do it the way I used to. Now I go in with a list and I get out as quickly as I can. So I miss that, that little seemingly inconsequential part of my before life before COVID. One thing that's changed for almost everyone, though, is work. Despite the computer and internet revolution that made it so a percentage of the population could work from almost anywhere, most people still go to a workplace. And the change has been jarring. My friend Phil Wilkie, who runs the public radio station in Chico, California, decided that he would chronicle his work-from-home adjustment with daily haikus about the experience. So I asked him to share a few of them. Only half hour in, already going crazy. Not enough coffee. Question of the day. What name for weight gained at home? The COVID-19. A beautiful day, a walk through the neighborhood. Where is everyone? Saturday at home. Is it weekend or workday? It is new normal. N95 mask saves lives of those around me, fogs up my glasses. Keeping to schedule, alarm, shower, shave, coffee. I miss my office. New technology held video staff meeting. Wasn't wearing pants. That was 59-year-old Phil Wilkie writing poetry from his home office in Chico, California. Phil, please put on some pants.
This is an important week for people around the world who are celebrating both Passover and Easter amid this global crisis. A few days ago, I called up an old friend who just happens to be an Episcopal priest based in Los Angeles. Reverend Nat Katz, who's 39, has always been a source of emotional, intellectual, and spiritual wisdom, even for an agnostic like me. I decided not to cut this conversation short, so settle in, and maybe his words can bring some measure of hope and understanding at this time of great uncertainty. How are you doing? That is a bit of a loaded question these days. Um, I'm hanging in. I'm glad not to be alone. I'm glad that my mom and I made a decision fairly early on in all this before we knew exactly where it would go, that we would be together, and that's meant that we could stay together. And I cannot possibly imagine going through this alone, and I know there are so many people who are. And, you know, I this is the week, this past week, I, I know that it's not just me. I think this is the week that things started to get really heavy on my spirit and on my soul. What is it about this past week that, that changed? You know, I can't quite put my finger on it, to be honest. For the first few weeks in my life, in my work, I was really laser focused on on building out um, some infrastructure for programming for the church where I work. And it took the better part of at least two weeks to envision that and then build the infrastructure and then let it start to happen. And so just having a little bit of of that letdown um, intellectually kind of opened up the space for my my spirit and my soul to start absorbing the weight. And, you know, the other piece is this is the week where our public officials started really telling us the likelihood that this the scope of this is going to be so significant. I think we crossed a Rubicon with that this week of saying this is not no longer a, a potentiality. This is a reality. Are you referring to the numbers that they're now talking about with best case scenario being 100 to 200,000 people losing their lives? That's right. Yeah. When you talk about uh, how you were you were able to kind of keep occupied, especially intellectually, uh, emotionally, spiritually, for the first couple of weeks of this, and and now this has changed for you. What can you describe what that feels like for you? Sure, you know, there's a heaviness. I feel a weight on my shoulders, on my spirit that I don't know quite what to do with yet. It also feels like, like it's a little bit of of a letdown in the sense that I'm just fatigued. I had a moment on Monday, you know, like so many of us who have been spending so much time on Zoom and, and phone calls where we're, our, our brains and our, our eyes in relying on these tools, our, our language centers are being stretched to the max. I mean, I got to a point last Monday where I just couldn't anymore. My brain said, you're done. You're gonna close your eyes and lay down. And it wasn't a choice. It wasn't, it would be nice to take a nap right now. It was my body telling me, no, you have to let yourself go and you have to shut down for a period of time because you're overstimulated and you're overstretched. And I've had some times this past week where it's in that language center sense. Like it's been hard for me uh, to string together sentences uh, sometimes, which is not usually a problem for me. So I've noticed that about myself in the in just in this past week. 
do you feel any additional pressure to kind of be able to move through this I don't know, in a different way, because you are a leader of a spiritual community. And if so, how do you deal with that? I think part of what my role is that way is that I'm the torchbearer for a tradition that has been handed from generation to generation to generation for centuries on how we deal with unbelievably challenging times. We just happen to be living through one of those times right now. And so I don't necessarily feel pressure, but I think that's the role that I've signed on for and that I've taken vows to do is to the best of my ability to live out the values of that tradition that say that we are a people rooted in hope. We are a people rooted in a a form of love and compassion that stands in the face of fear and anxiety. And that is a mode that our ancestors used to make it through the times that they lived through. And we should trust that we can, and we will, and we should do the same. For those who may not have a spiritual community, um, whether out of uh, non-belief or inability to get to one or be in contact with one, how do you take what you know and what you believe in and perhaps apply that to others outside of your community? I think there are parts that I draw upon in this tradition that I'm a part of that I draw upon that that aren't truths that are necessarily reliant on adhering to any one belief system are to remember and affirm, A, that we are all connected. One of the primary challenges of this time is the isolation. And there are all kinds of ways, beautiful, beautiful ways that we see each and every day of the way that people are finding to remind one another that they belong to each other. So I always tell my congregation before we sign off for worship to reach out to someone who is outside your physical home and tell them that you love them. That act of love and connection and compassion is acknowledging the reality of our humanity, which is being put to the test at this moment. And then the other piece that I look to is to remember it is it is a hope-centric story, which is to say that no matter what happens here, that this will not be the end of our story. And how we choose to be resilient in these times will dictate the story that we have going forward. There are a lot of people asking the question, what kind of world, what kind of society we, sorry. No, it's okay. Um, there are, you know, I think a lot of people asking that question, what, what, what this is going to look like, mm-hmm. you know, when, if, and when it's, it's finally over. Mm-hmm. So as you look out at what's happening now, do you think about what you would like us to look like or what you think we we might look like coming out of this? I know it's a crystal ball question and nobody really knows, but have you thought about that? A little bit. My hope is that we who endure these times 
will be reminded in a certain way of what our true values are with one another, um, which can, I, I don't mean that to sound um, callous in any sort of way. I, I really don't. And I think there's a fine line to walk with that at the moment because we have to acknowledge the reality of the potential loss of life that's going to happen and the trauma that will come as a result. But we know also about our humanity that it is very easy for us to adjust very quickly to our circumstances. It's one of the things that's made our species endure and evolve across so much change over so much time. So it, there will be a choice involved. We don't have to take anything with us from this time, but I hope that we will. One of the things that I've been thinking about over this last week a great deal was I was reminded of a book, a wonderful book that came out uh, a number of years ago now by um, Drew Faust, who was the first woman to be president of Harvard University. And she's a Civil War historian, and her she published this beautiful book called This Republic of Suffering. And it was really a look at how our relationship as a country, as a society with death, was forever transformed by the American Civil War. And that the realities of death at that time changed how we as a country mourned, how our rituals, how we coped with death but that it was a tremendously traumatic thing for so many people to, to live through that time when death, the death of their loved ones came in a way that prevented them from being able to observe the grief rituals that um, had been handed down to them that provided them with enormous comfort to make it through. And so much of what, at least for our, our generations in the last 150 years or so, We've now gotten used to and taken for granted the rituals that came as a result. And I think we're looking ahead now at the reality, a reality that's going to shift and demand that those um, that those practices and that culture shift again. And we don't net know what that's going to be or what it's going to involve. And so there are some things that we will be able to choose on the other side of this uh, about how we change or what we carry forward. And there are some things that um, we won't have a choice about, and we're gonna have to hold on to one another as close as we can and trust one another as much as we can to find our way through. I know that one way you're getting through all this is through prayer. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else that you're kind of trying to do on a daily basis, or I don't know, every other day basis, just to, to cope? with what we're all in right now? Yeah, I think that the two things that are having the, the greatest impact for me, especially this past week is, as things have shifted, are one, this has been true from the beginning of this journey, is laughter. It's, mm. it's just, I have to find a way to laugh every single day. Um, and it doesn't matter whether it's from something silly or dumb or really erudite. It really doesn't matter. But I have to find a way to laugh every day. I wish I had a good joke for you, but I'm a terrible joke teller. All right. I mean, truth be told, I, at the beginning I, of this, I've, I, I just needed something. The work days were so intense that I said, I need something that's going to make me laugh, but isn't going to make me work too hard and that will be comforting in some way. And I was, you know, as so many of us are doing, scrolling through my Netflix, and there was uh, 
there was cheers. <laughs> and I just, Classic. I just decided to start watching from the very first episode. And that's pretty much become a nightly ritual for me through all of this. So Sam and Diane are helping you get through. Absolutely. Love it. And Coach is, Coach is really helping at this point. Coach has <laughs> probably been the most consistent source actually, so far. So that's been one. Laughter is one. And the other is music. Mm. Is Again, I, I, I've discovered that because of Zoom, because of phone calls, the ways that we have to connect right now, that I need music, especially music, instrumental music, as a way that sort of brings my my body and my brain sort of back to a, a sense of wholeness. Trying to think of what was the music that brought me comfort when I was a child, teenage years, and just going back to a lot of those albums and some of them I haven't listened to in a long time. Well, Nat, thank you and stay healthy. Thank you. You do the same. I appreciate it. That was Nathaniel Nat Katz speaking from his home in L.A. My comedic rewatch, by the way, commenced this week, is The Office, the U.S. version, 15 years after its debut. And Michael Scott is just as sweet and horrifying as ever. All right, that's the show. Next time, some 7th and 8th graders share their responses to a recent assignment that asked them to write a letter to anyone they wanted about what they're experiencing right now in the age of COVID-19. You will want to hear their voices. Meantime, send me your stories of how you're coping, journal entries, poetry, whatever. Share how you're moving through this world right now. I'm Tess Vigland, and this is COVID Chronicles. You can reach me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. All my DMs are open or at radiotess at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and stay healthy.